0: Good morning. I want to welcome those who are here at the well here in the chapel and also those upstairs in the well cafe. My name is David. I serve as a senior pastor here and I especially want to welcome you if you're a first time guest in either one of those venues. We're delighted to have you today and if we can do anything to bless you, answer any questions that you have outside both of these worship spaces. We have a connecting point where we have volunteers there who would love to to answer any questions you have about the life of our church. Uh, We are in the second week of this series, A Deeper Life with God, and I want to make sure you know uh, everything that uh, is a part of this series. There's really three components of this series. The first is the the messages that we're sharing each weekend. If you missed last week or, again, if you're here for the first time, you can listen to the first message by going to our website. The second component is an outline for uh, and a guide for a small group gathering, and so our hope is that Uh, You are connected with a small group and having the chance to work through uh, this workbook that we have provided you. And inside this, again, it's got that guide, some questions for you to reflect on. There's also some video teaching that we have put together to be a conversation starter for that. We actually have 115 groups in our church. Who are going through this study. We have 80 brand new groups, which we're really excited about. I'll tell you more about why in just a moment. And then the third component are practices that we are encouraging you to invest in in these weeks as you invest in a deeper life with God, practices that we believe will will help you in that journey. And so uh, in the first week, we talked about rest. We talked about getting some sleep. So you may have thought, I'm doing this new study and they're going to tell me what to do. And we started by telling you what not to do. Don't do anything. Just go home and go to sleep. And so hopefully some of you got a nap in last weekend. Maybe you got eight hours of sleep this week. I don't I'm trying to see. there there some rested people here? I hope you were successful in, in, in that in, in some ways. And if you weren't, that's why there's more weeks in the series, okay? So you can keep working on this rest thing. It's not just for week one. It's something that we hope uh, continues. I want you to know that this series... And this resource really grows out of an understanding of who we are as a church family. Uh, If you're brand new, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ who will love God, love others, and serve the world. And so a series that's about inviting you into a deeper life with God, it's, it's simply a different way of expressing what that mission is all about. Making disciples, inviting you into a deeper relationship with God, growing in love of God, love of others, and service to the world. But the other thing I want you to know as you think about why we're doing this and particularly why we've invested in this resource. And we're hoping next spring to do two more studies like this that are, it's a church-wide thing. You got a sermon series and then a small group study connected with it. The reason why is because we believe that the strength of any church, not just our church, but any church, isn't how many people come to worship. I mean, that's often what people look at. Well, that's a big church. There's a lot of people who come to worship there. And that's true about this church. You're a significant church. We have a lot of people who come to worship. But the strength of the church is how many people are connected in life-giving relationships. If we have 2,000 people who come to church and leave and live lives in isolation, that's a weak church. But if we have a church where people are coming together in worship and they are connected beyond that worship experience in life-giving relationships, people that you are sharing life with, people who know you and you know, people who you are praying for, who, who you are present with in their times of celebration and need, that's a strong church and that's a strong life. And so our desire as we think about growth is also to get you connected into relationships that we think will enable and enhance that growth. And so that's why we've invested so much in this, and that's why we believe so much. In groups, whatever they look like, whether it's a small group meeting in a home, here in a church, a Sunday school class that you may be a part of, we want you to get connected in that. And so on the back of your bulletin, uh, you'll see an email there for Pastor Sharon. If you want to email her, she'd love to help you uh, get connected, uh, whether it's to this study or to a future study uh, to one of our small groups. Again, this is the second week, and let me just uh, reset a few things for you. Actually, I want you first to turn over to the back of your bulletin. You'll see the message page there. And at the top of the message page, you're going to see a proverb, Proverbs 4.23. I want you to look at that real quick because we're going to say that together. Proverbs 4.23, there at the top of your message page, please share this with me. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Let's do it one more time. Above all else, guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. Uh, I am a second generation United Methodist pastor. Uh, my dad serves a Methodist church in Arlington today, uh, which means that my entire life I've been connected to the church in some way. I, I, I don't have in, any experience of life lived apart uh, from the church. But that being said, there is a moment in my life that I can look back on and say that was the moment that I said yes. That was the moment that I said, this isn't just mom's faith. This isn't just dad's faith. This is now my faith. I'm taking ownership of this and I'm saying, Jesus, I want you to be Lord and savior of my life. And when I think about my story and who I am, that's really important to me. It's important for me to remember where I have come from. I mean, I don't have some crazy rebellious story of going off for six years and doing crazy things and Lord. I mean, I've kind of lived a boring life in that regard, okay? But there are people in my life as uh, that from that background of being raised in the church, there are people who I I really treasure, who poured into me, who invested in me. I think about Sunday school teachers, I think about about small group leaders, I think about youth directors, other people who invested in me, including my parents. But I also recognize that there was a moment when I said, "This this is for me. This is this is my decision. I want to live my life as a follower of Jesus. And here's what I want you to know about those those early months after that that, that change, that, that decision, is that in those first few months, in those first few years, I can remember feeling a bit frustrated by the fact that the transformation that I expected to happen in my life after I said the prayer, hey, I'm in, Lord Jesus, be Lord and Savior of my life, after I said that prayer, there was an expectation of transformation that I had in my life that was not fully realized. Now things did change. I mean and there were some things that were different because of that decision that I made in my life. But my expectation was that transformation was going to be radical and it was going to be immediate. I think at that point in my life I really thought the prayer making a commitment was was more like a magic trick. Like I'm going to say this prayer and there's going to be smoke, you know, it's just going to be you're just this new brand new person. And I thought that's what was going to happen. And you know, those the, those first few days after, it was kind of this this huge momentum generated in my life, but then I went back to life as it normally was. And I didn't experience the transformation that I thought I would. Now, some things changed, but not everything. And I remember being frustrated by that. I remember being disappointed by that. And I, and I remember even thinking, well, maybe I messed up. Like, maybe I didn't pray the prayer right. Like, Maybe I should have been standing on one leg, you know, and, and I, I, I don't know. I, maybe I didn't read the, the scriptures right. Maybe I just thought, or, or maybe maybe this faith thing isn't what people have told me that it, that it would be. I remember thinking something must be wrong because these expectations that I had were not fully realized. And I've talked to enough people as a pastor to recognize that whether that's where you are today or there is a season in your life that you can look back on, most of us have had that experience. Most of us have had that. If you said yes to Jesus, if you said, I want, Je- I want you to be Lord and Savior in my life, you have probably walked through a season of your life, maybe early on or sometimes later, where you thought, maybe I missed something, because I'm not where I thought I would be. Or maybe you're here today and you're not quite sure what you think about this whole Christianity thing. Maybe there's still this sense of hesitation within your heart about, I'm not sure I'm fully in. And maybe that hesitation is born out of the idea that you have relationships in your life with people who claim to have faith, but you haven't seen in them, perhaps, the transformation that you thought that you would see. Wherever you are on that, my my guess is that we've all had some experience with that, that frustration, that disappointment, perhaps we'd even use the word disillusionment of where did I go wrong? Is there something that I'm missing from this this life of faith? How come I haven't experienced the full transformation that I thought that I was going to experience? So with that in your mind, I want you to listen to this story that I think you will enjoy, and I want you to listen to this teaching uh, that was shared at a conference we recently hosted here at our church. So let's watch this video.
1: Ooh. Reminds me of, of one of my favorite all-time stories about a guy who was down and out on his luck. He'd lost several jobs, and um, he's looking in the in the paper at, at jobs available, and he sees, Mike, he sees that there's a job at the local zoo. And he, he thinks, well, zoos are cool. I, I'll go check it out. So he goes down to apply for this job at the zoo. He doesn't know what the job is. So he's sitting in a room all by himself. A guy walks in and says, you here for the job? He says, yeah. He goes, great, stand up. He stands up. He says, turn around. He turns around. He goes, okay, you're hired. So, oh, that's good, but uh, do you want my resume? Do you want to? Don't need that. Don't need that. You're hired. He says, okay, what am I hired to do? He said, you're the gorilla. Excuse me? Every good zoo needs a gorilla. We can't afford a real one, but we have a gorilla suit. And if you just put the, the suit on and sit in your cage, it's, it's going to be easy money. And the guy thinks, this is terrible. Well, I need the money. All right. He says, I'll do it. So he puts the suit on. He goes and sits in the cage. And it's not a real popular zoo, so not a lot of people, but people come by and they kind of look at him. Well, he begins to notice, look, I'm here, I'm stuck, I'm I'm in this cage, I might as well do something, because there are ropes and there are rocks to climb on and ladders and various things, so he starts taking advantage. He's climbing and swinging and doing things, and he notices that the more he does, the more people come, and he's a bit of a ham, actually, so he kind of likes when the crowds come, so he starts to get into it. He's doing cartwheels. He's, he's swinging on the rope and waving to the people, and they're loving this. Well, one day he gets really overzealous. He's not paying attention. He's swinging higher and higher. He swings himself out of his cage into the next cage, which is the lion's cage. <laughs> the lion lifts up his head, stands up, begins walking towards him, and he's thinking, oh, no, I've got a decision to make. If I blow my cover, I lose the job, but I don't, I don't want to die. And the lion gets closer, and he, he thinks, "Forget it, I can't. Forget it. I'm gonna I'm gonna get help." He starts screaming, "Help! Somebody help me!" And the lion gets right up in his face and says, "Shut up, buddy, or we're both gonna lose our jobs." <laughs> so it was a. It was. It was a it was a discount zoo, Mike. I don't think, you would want to try to get a job there. So uh, why would I tell that story and. Because uh, I, I, I know that growing up, in, in, as, after I became a Christian and being in the church, there was this pressure to be something that on the outside I needed to look Christian, you know. And, and there was sort of a Christian suit I was supposed to wear. But the inside didn't match the, what the outside was. And that internal change that I didn't know was actually the most important thing was something I didn't work on. So I worked at the level of behavior. Stop doing whatever it is. Or start doing whatever I'm supposed to. And so I was lo- working at the external level. And it's interesting if you study the teaching of Jesus, he was all about the inside. He was critical of the Pharisees. He called them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. That's not a compliment. He said, you guys look, you look good on the outside, but on the inside you're dead. And he said, you know, it's like a cup. You've, you've washed the outside of your cup, but the inside's filthy. Or he used a phrase that is now in our vernacular. He talks about a wolf in in sheep's clothing, right? The outside, the inside. He talked about trees. Make the tree good. A good tree bears good fruit. All of these metaphors Jesus is giving us are saying the inside has to change. If you work at the level of behavior, it's going to fail,
0: On the back of your bulletin, uh, you see their key principle, and I want to invite you to write down a sentence uh, that is really the key principle of this entire series. All six weeks uh, of the messages, uh, the entire small group series as well, and that is simply this, that life is lived from the inside out. Life is lived from the inside out. If you are a part of a small group, in the third week of your your group time, you're going to spend the entire time focused on this principle, that life is lived on the inside out. I want to touch on it today so that you're kind of ready for that when you get to that point. Life is lived from the inside out. Above all else, the proverb says, guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. And so we started this last week by looking at one aspect of that, one aspect of this idea that life is lived from the inside out. And again, we talked about rest. And some of you may have been confused by that. You may have thought, okay, this is a this is a deeper life with God. I should be doing something, and we're telling you to not do anything, to actually rest and to experience refreshment. And the reason for that is because, again, we believe a key principle of Jesus' teaching is that life is live from the inside out. The most important question at the end of the day is not what happened around me or what happened to me, but what is happening in me because we live from the inside out. And so if you listen to the video teaching, we talked about that God designed the world to follow a certain rhythm. Very beginning of the scriptures, you see that God separates the night from the day he makes a sun to rise and a sun to go down to organize the days and your body was actually designed to follow that same pattern you absolutely cannot survive without rest I was reminded of a a friend of mine who was on our staff for some time several years ago he tried something called polyphasic sleep or something like that I think that's the phrase for it don't, this is not, I'm not trying to encourage you to do this, okay? This is basically what it is. Every two hours, you take a 30-minute nap. So instead of uh, sleeping during the night, that's how you, you. that's your cycle uh, all throughout the day. Two hours, uh, you take a 30-minute nap, then two more hours, and you take a 30-minute nap. He did it for about three days. And I gotta tell, I mean, he was dead by the end of it. I mean, he was he was a different person. He was a zombie. It was so strange, because he had deprived his body of one of the core things that he absolutely needed in his life and you need in your life and I didn't mine. You need rest in your life. Now think about that. Over the course of your life, you're going to spend about a third of it asleep. That means that if you live to 90, let's just all be ambitious, okay, and say we're all going to live to 90. If you live to 90, you're going to spend 30 years asleep. Isn't that crazy to think about? Thirty years. I've been asleep for thirty years of, of, of your life. You're going to be sleeping. Now think about it this way: if the primary objective of your existence was efficiency and productivity, you have an incredible design flaw. <laughs> you do. I mean, you are. Des- you have this incredible design flaw. If the purpose of your life is efficiency and productivity you're messed up, like you're not created in the right way. That may be God's hint to us, that efficiency and productivity, that's not what you're about. You were not designed to be a machine, though you live in a world that every single day tries to get you to become one. We live in this hurry, fast-paced world, and yet all around us are it, it is this reminder that God designed the world and life to have a rhythm. God has honored, sanctified, called holy the act of rest, the empty spaces of our life that not only have meaning, you heard me say that this week, but you could even argue this, the empty spaces of your life are where the power comes from. It's where real strength and moral courage and those things that you have to have. That's where they come from, from those empty spaces in your life. I was encouraged this week that many of you shared an article on Facebook from Relevant Magazine. It was six reasons you need to seriously slow down your life. I don't know if you saw this or not. I'm not going to read you the article, but I'm going to give you the list because people love lists. So if you want to write some of this down, here's some of the things that the article talked about. First, a hurried life destroys your relationships. It destroys your relationships with God. It destroys your relationships with, with other people as well. It, it, it drains those, those relationships of the energy and the vitality that they are meant to have. If you follow through the Gospels, just read through any of the Gospels, what you will see is that Jesus is constantly pulling back from the crowds in order to spend time alone with God in prayer. Luke 5.16, if you look there, in Luke 5, you have this, this moment where the crowds are growing. But in Luke, Luke 5.16, it says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely pra- places where he prayed. He was constantly pulling back from the hurriedness and the demands and the needs of his life in order to commune with God. And, and Jesus was strengthened in that time. It destroys your relationships. Hurriedness decreases your capacity to love others. Try this on for size. Go home to your spouse and say, I would really like to express how much you mean to me, but I only have 35 seconds. I mean, that won't work, right? I mean, you can't express care and concern and attentiveness when you're on a time schedule, when you're rushed, when when you're hurried in your life. Love is Patient, the scriptures say, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes attention, and hurriedness decreases our capacity to love. It increases the power of temptation in your life. That may be the most important thing you hear over the course of this entire six weeks, because the hurriedness of your life is making you susceptible to a train wreck that's right around the corner. And if you don't slow down, you're going to run in to that thing you never meant to run into. Hurriedness numbs you to injustice. I would generalize this to say that hurriedness just numbs you. It not only numbs you to injustice, you don't see the things that are wrong with the world, but you also don't see the things that are right with the world. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no love. There. It just numbs you to the experiences of life. Life loses its texture, its depth, and its meaning. It's just about getting up every single day and getting back on the wheel that spins over and over and over again. Hurriedness increases your narrow-mindedness, which some of us don't need any help in that area, by the way. It increases our narrow-mindedness. Y'all didn't find that funny, but I did. Hurriedness increases our narrow-mindedness and legalism. And here's what legalism is. It's when our relationship with God ceases to be about loving response. I mean, that's what the relationship should be. You should should come to worship as a loving response to God's grace at work in your life. You should read the scriptures as a loving response to God's grace at work in your life. You should pray as a loving response to God's grace at work in your life. But when legalism takes takes over, then, then your faith, your whole relationship with God just becomes a series of spiritual transactions, and so you come to worship and you pray and you read your, read your Bible and you, you check the first box and the second box and the third box and you do it out of obligation, you do it out of, out of duty, it's not out of awe, it's not out of wonder, it's not out of love, it's just about, God, I'm doing what I think you want me to do, so you'll do for me what I want you to do. Hurriedness clouds your purpose and it diminishes your passion diminishes your passion because it numbs you it numbs you to to the to the joy to everything that you might experience in life and again you may ask the question well why are we starting here I need I need help learning how to read the bible I need help learning how to pray I mean there's all sorts of things that you may think you need to do in order to develop a, a deeper life with God here's why we start here because hurry is an enemy of the heart hurry is an enemy of your heart And the scripture says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Jim mentioned in his uh, uh, teaching there about these words that Jesus shared with the religious leadership of his day. And if you read the gospels, these are some of the harshest words that Jesus shares. I mean, these are words that are in your face. I mean, he is very confrontational when he comes to the religious leadership and and, and accuses them of being whitewashed tombs filled with dead man's bones, people who are concerned about the outside of the cup but have done nothing to, to concern themselves with the inside of the cup. I wanna read you the, the section just before those seven woes that Jesus shares with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. In t- verse... Uh, chapter 23 of Matthew, verse 5, Here, listen to what Jesus says. And I'm going to explain some of these words in here because I guarantee you there's, a, there's a word in here you've never heard before in your life. So here we go. Verse 5, Every, he's talking to his disciples here about, about the religious leadership. He says, everything they do is done for people to see. They're just about to show. They're just about to show. Everything they do uh, is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries. Anybody? Anybody? They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace to be called rabbi by others. So if you go back to Deuteronomy 6, there's a very famous portion of Scripture in Deuteronomy 6. It's called the Shema. It was a Scripture that all Jews would have memorized Uh, And known by heart something they would have shared every single day. It's called the Shema because the uh, Shema is the Hebrew word for hear, which is the first word of this text. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That was the Shema. That's what every Jew would have recited every single day. It was a really important part of who they were. And if you read on in Deuteronomy 6, this is what it says. You need to remember this. Don't forget these words. This is Moses speaking to people. Don't forget these words that I'm, that I'm telling you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And so after that, Moses says this. You need to talk about this in your homes. You need to share this with your children. You need to share these words as, as, as you walk along. You need to tie them as symbols on your head, on your hands. And it says in Deuteronomy 6 to bind them on your forehead. And so what the Jews did is they made these boxes that they called phylacteries. And in the box they would place Deuteronomy 6 this Shema prayer, this, this this reminder of who they were, and they would literally tie the box on their head when they went to temple. So they would if you go to Jerusalem you will see this and I'm going to save you the trouble of trying to figure out what in the world is that box on their head? It's a phylactery. It, it's, it's a religious expression of Deuteronomy 6 a box and here's what here's what Jesus is saying you're just putting a bigger box on your head what's the big deal with that you don't get it it's not about this outward expression Jesus says there's nothing wrong with the box there's nothing wrong with remembering Deuteronomy 6 but it's about more than just the box he says that the tassels are long and again you're probably thinking what in the world is Jesus talking about there well Numbers 15, if you read in there, one of the things it says in Numbers 15 is that you should attach tassels to the end of your garment... As a reminder of the commandments, that you are a holy people chosen by God. And so what you, what you see here, this is a Jewish prayer shawl. I actually bought this when I was in Israel uh, a few years ago. And if you go to Jerusalem, you will see many Orthodox Jews who have a prayer shawl like this. Now most of the time, they will wear it kind of as an undergarment, so you'll see it kind of hanging out of the bottom of their coat. But this is a literal expression of Numbers 15. Wear tassels on your clothing and, and, and wear them as a remembrance of the commandments of God that you are a, you're a holy people. And this is beautiful, right? I mean, this is a beautiful piece of fabric. I mean, this is a, a, a prized possession of mine that, that I have this. There's, there's nothing wrong with a prayer shawl. There's nothing wrong with attaching tassels to your clothing. But, but Jesus says it's about, it's about more than this. It's about more than this. Jesus was a Jew, by the way, and while this may seem really strange to you, you probably didn't see this at work this week. Maybe you did. I don't know where you work, but, but you probably didn't see this this, th- this week. But Jesus, as a Jew, had a prayer shawl. Uh, when you read in the Gospels about people being healed by touching the hem of Jesus' robe, this is what they were touching, the, the, the tassels on the end of his, of his prayer shawl. There's nothing wrong with this. But what Jesus is saying to the to the Pharisees and the religious leadership is that faith is not about getting dressed up. It's not about presenting this perfect picture to the world. It's it's about the inside. Because life is life is lived from the inside out. And so the most important thing about your life is what is it that lives in your heart today? What is it that is at work in your heart today? Are you today driven and motivated by love and grace and joy? Or in your heart, are you driven by hurry and insecurity and by perhaps worry. Anybody have any experience with worry? Anybody out there? Anybody This morning I'm sitting in my chair. I'm going to show you my chair in a couple weeks. It's a cool chair. I'm sitting in my chair and I'm doing my morning devotional time and this is the third day in the row when I'm reading through the gospel of Matthew and I just I'm just distracted. And I'm just thinking, okay, Read Matthew 18. What are you doing? But I'm just distracted. I'm thinking about other things. I was worried, and so I'm writing in my journal. Lord, I'm trying to focus this morning. Blah, 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 blah. But I'm worried about blah, 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 blah. And I just start talking about all the stuff I'm worried about. Blah, 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 blah. And this is what I hear the Spirit say to me. Not out loud. Not like, David. You know, not, not. Wake up. No, no, it wasn't. this This is just what I heard. This is the best way I can describe it. I heard it in my spirit. I heard God's Spirit speak into my spirit, and this is what the Spirit said. This is what obsession looks like, is what the Spirit said to me. In other words, stop obsessing. And so I, I found myself turning back, let me look in here, turning back to Philippians chapter 4. You know this scripture. Many of you do. You probably memorized it. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In other words, when you're worried, when you're anxious, when you are obsessing over the negative, which some of you are so good at, congratulations, you have a great skill. You're obsessing over the negative. What does Philippians 4 say? It says, instead, obsess over the positive. Present your requests to God in prayer and petition with thanksgiving focus on the positive now that's verse 6 and many of you have memorized verse 6 and that's what I thought of this morning when I was heard this voice that said hey stop obsessing do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God great scripture you should all memorize it here's verse 7 some of you know this one and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will what who knows the scripture Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you take this negative concern in your life, when you take this worry that you have in your life and you present it to God, you focus and move your focus from the negative to the positive. Here's what the Spirit does the Spirit guards your heart. Why? Because the heart leads. The heart leads. Above all else, guard your hearts, the scripture says, for everything that you do flows from it. So here's the question. Here's the question for today. How is your heart? How is your heart? You don't have to tell your neighbor, but how is your heart, really? Is your heart driven by love and joy and peace, or is your your heart driven by insecurity or worry or fear? Because whatever it is that is at work there in the heart, everything that you do in your life flows from that. And it flows either to a life that Jesus describes in John chapter 10 as a life to the full or a life that is taking you in a very different direction. How's your heart? How's your heart? Life is is lived from the inside out. How is your heart? Let me say a prayer for you. Lord Jesus, on behalf of all of my brothers and sisters and myself, we confess that sometimes we do feel, Lord, like we're just getting dressed up like we're pretending that everything is okay because we think that's what we're supposed to do. When inside, Lord, we find ourselves asking questions and wondering maybe of you, why haven't you done what we have wanted you to do? Or wondering of ourselves, where did we go wrong? What did we miss? And Lord, I pray that today you would teach us that both of those, both of those responses are are not as you would want us to be. But that instead, you would invite us to go within. To listen to our own hearts, Lord. Listen to the worry, the fear, the struggle, the insecurity. And in faith, Lord, to be able to Speak into ourselves what is really true. That we are priceless. We are precious. We are loved. We are acceptable in your sight. Lord, I know there's probably someone here who who isn't so sure about that. who in their heart lord may feel very clouded by guilt and by shame and i pray lord that today you would you would destroy that that demon that you by your love would overpower it that you would remind all of us that this whole life of faith begins first with your love for each and every one of us. And in that, Lord, in that simple truth, help us to find real rest for our souls. Help us to guard our hearts, to remember that all of life, all of life, Flows from that sacred place. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.